0: Welcome to another episode of Thinking Like a Bank, where we show you how to think like a bank by applying the same strategies and principles that banks use to help you find more financial freedom in your life. I'm your host, Sarah Ibrahim. Today, I'm interviewing Karen Ranz. Karen is a venture catalyst, a compassionate capitalist, economist, investor, and entrepreneur. She is nationally recognized as an expert on angel investing and the author of the best-selling book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing. Karen is a leader and advocate for the compassionate capitalist movement. She believes entrepreneurism is the greatest source for wealth creation. She says you don't have to be a successful entrepreneur to create generational wealth if you can learn how to invest in those companies that have the potential to be the next big thing. Karen managed a traditional Angel Investor Network in Atlanta, Georgia, for many years until the Jobs Act of 2012 created an opportunity to disrupt the status quo for connecting entrepreneurs and investors. Karen offers capital strategy, preparation, and investor relations services for entrepreneurs seeking financing based on the new regulations for crowd finance through her firm, Cougarand Capital Holdings, LLC. Karen provides education and due diligence services to a new generation of private investors in her national network of angel investors. Karen Rands, welcome to our podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here, be back with you again, doing a podcast. This is great.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And for the audience, the audience knows I was on your podcast, I think like a year and a half, two years ago. So thanks for having me on your podcast. It was nice meeting you and getting to know your brand. Um, And that's what I want to talk about today, a little bit more about what you're doing. So can you tell us more about your background and what you do?
1: I came out of the corporate world working for a big tech company. Uh, shepherding new innovation through the company to, you know, for the company to basically embrace and uh, help go to market. And uh, through that, I got, I discovered the world of private capital for businesses. And on one end, it was sort of like we would, Provide resources and services to help validate the company's technologies that were our clients, with the idea they would go out and get venture capital and then come back and spend it with IBM. Uh, when I left IBM at a, a very opportune time of January of 2000, and if you know what was going on in that in the market at that time, you know it was the really kind of like the the beginning to the end. It was like right at the peak of the dot com bomb. Mm-hmm. But uh, me, myself, and I, in my little bubble of IBM, had, you know, had no idea that was happening. So I left to go help one of my clients that had amazing technology go to market and bring, uh, you know, and get capital. And I uh, discovered the world of angel investing in that process when I was in the corporate world, as probably some of your co- your listeners are yeah. yeah. be never heard of angel investing i'd heard of venture capital but i'd never heard of angel investing i now call it the the best kept secret of how the rich get richer yeah right uh so um and discovered a couple of fundamental rules of what makes a good investment along with that particular experience because mm-hmm. this guy didn't have those <laughs> those attributes and so it's called experience and attitude uh as you know the product was great but you know and so, it, so like as I said, I discovered angel investing. I found this group, the network of business angels and investors. The founder of that group was looking to phase himself out and kind of retire, so he started mentoring me to take over that organization, which I did in about 2006 timeframe. Rebuilt it to be one of the most active in the southeast and the top fifty in the country, and uh, up until the Great Recession. And then uh, the particular business model that we have for that angel investor just couldn't sustain through mm-hmm. that. And uh, I, I pivoted towards the new world order of direct public offerings, what most people refer to as crowdfunding yeah. and helping uh, really focusing. And with my book, Inside Sequence to Angel Investing, helping People that have heard of angel investing have like this idea of can I get into a private company or what is this crowdfunding stuff to figure out would they should they could uh, be an angel mm-hmm. investor, be an investor in uh, entrepreneurs and created the compassionate capitalist movement as a, a real emphasis, a passion to get more money into the marketplace for entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market, create jobs and create wealth for all those involved.
0: You mentioned a lot of really interesting things. I want to kind of like go back a little bit. So uh, you mentioned like angel investing or being an angel investor um and then venture capital. So do you mind sharing with us like for those who don't know what first, what is what is an angel investor?
1: so it's it's I can put it within the context of uh, against venture capital uh-huh. because most people have heard of venture capital. So venture capital is really when there's high net worth individuals or institutional money that have put their money into a fund and it has a management team that analyzes the deals and invests in the deals and they, and they, and it does all the investment. So venture capitalists are investing other people's money and then not much different than like a hedge fund or something yeah. like that. But in this case, it's into the private companies that have huge upside potential, you know, buying wholesale, selling retail, you know, before they go public or get bought. Mm-hmm. So angel investors, the traditional angel investor fits in that, gap but it, where you can't go to the bank or you're not yeah. big enough or for another far enough along with venture capital because typically venture capital have large amounts of money under management and therefore they make larger investments because they don't want to manage you know a hundred two hundred thousand dollar investments it's yeah. much better to have ten two million dollar investments right and so they um so, so that's their place, whereas angel investors, t- typically the traditional will invest between twenty-five dollars and $50,000 in a single deal and then over time build a portfolio of you know, 10, 15, 20 companies that are phasing in and out as they go through that if they're building a, port- a diversified portfolio of those. And so the biggest thing is that they're writing checks out of their own checking account. So it's yeah. much more personal when it's angel investors. Uh, and, you know, most the traditional definition of an angel investor is somebody that's an accredited investor, meaning that they have a certain level of, of wealth and accumulation of assets that qualify them for that. And uh, they, they And I can, you know, share that stuff, but it's, you know, basically it's, it's enough to be where the government feels like they they're smart enough and savvy enough business wise to recognize the risk, the inherent risk of a private company investment. And then you now you have this kind of muddied water, if you will, because the world of crowdfunding or direct public offerings allows people to become an angel investor or, you know, be an investor in private companies without that level of income. They just have to have a certain amount of discretionary income and there's certain limits on how much they can invest if they can't prove that they're an accredited investor.
0: Gotcha. And then as far as crowdfunding, it's not only that they don't have to be accredited, but also the investment amounts are much less. They don't have to put 25 or $50,000. I think you can even do like some investments as little as like a hundred or $500 into some crowdfunding. Yeah, so, you
1: know, the crowdfunding came out of the jobs act, which mm-hmm. was in response. It was a bipartisan, I think like 98% of Congress yeah. stuff voted for it. And, uh, and it came out of as a, as an economic stimulus strategy after the great recession. And, you know, the financial markets had collapsed. So a lot, so on the, on the one side, it was really hard for entrepreneurs to get bank loans and yeah. various things like that. So most people think of, the jobs act as a way for entrepreneurs to get access to capital. But the other side of the coin is that they also recognize that because of the collapse of the financial market and the real estate market, a lot of people's portfolios had completely evaporated their stock market portfolio and their real estate portfolio in the, in the decline. And they, you know, it, as history proved It took them 10 years to get back to zero, back to the baseline of where they were. And so um, what they saw was that with reward-based crowdfunding, there was a lot of technology that we take for granted today that came to market under reward-based, where people gave them money in exchange for products, for rewards, right? So you had, um, like, uh, the original smartwatches, drones, 3D printers, you know, uh, VR headsets, you know, all these things even the fidget widgets, they all came to market with people doing for products. So when those companies went on and raised tens of millions of capital from venture capitalists, sold those companies, those people that put in $500 let's say, or $50,000, whatever the case might be because of the way they structured their mm-hmm. reward base, they received no benefit when that company went on, you know, on a return on investment. So right government in, you know, I guess because they actually listened to a lot of the people in the marketplace, Mm -hmm. they realized that they needed to make it friendly for people to get involved and it not just be the rich get richer that your average middle class person could participate and your up and coming young people that already kind of understood reward based crowdfunding and they didn't have they don't have the means to do a twenty five thousand dollar investment but they could do $500 a month. And if they're starting out in their corporate careers, you know, they're not going to get vested in their 401k for retirement for five years. But if they did that plan, they'd have a portfolio of, of what would that be? That, that would be what 60 companies, Mm -hmm. you know, over a five-year period of time. And, you know, you just basic math, even if you're bad at it, you know, use the basic math, they're going to make a lot more than they would have in the money that, whatever the 30,000, they would have put in their 401k during that
0: time. Of course. Yeah. 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 The 401k is going to have fees and plus, I mean, how much could you really do in like index funds and mutual funds? Um, you're not going to like multiply your money by like 10 times over five years. You could yeah. by investing into privately held companies. That is, that is a possibility, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, the reason why people invest in, in entrepreneurs and what people are figuring out it is the highest rate of return yeah. on average about four times what you get from stock market and real estate market. When you're, you know, look at it over a, of a annualized 10 year period of time.
0: Mm-hmm. I think one of like the biggest disadvantages, right. To pro- to investigate in privately held companies is probably the lack of liquidity. So like right now, like today I can go put money into a mutual fund. And then tomorrow I can like sell and take my money out. Right. But in a privately held company, I can't go and invest like $10,000 into a private held company and then tomorrow ask for that money back. It's typically an illiquid investment. But I think that's also a plus side too, because if everyone's able to take their money out of the investment, then it will shrink the value of that investment. So by in essence, by locking up the money for five, seven, eight years, and then yeah. selling or going public, it assures that the company could handle those investments and they can contain those investments to go to the next stage or next level. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they're filling the gap when the company doesn't have enough cash flow to get a, a loan that yeah. would make a pick or they can't go to the VCs. Yeah. And it's a different type of typically an investment model when you do any of the direct public offerings than it is under a traditional angel investor model, which goes through angel investor groups mm-hmm. and things like that. So, you know, one of the things we talk about in the book, though, just to your point, is that how you would decide how much you invest in a company and how much you're gonna allocate depends on what the rest of your net worth is. And sometimes, or the way you, the, your liquidity and sometimes people, they've, if they've been, and the older folks that might've been in a company for a while and have a, a, a large 401k, you know they'd sit, they, it's not uncommon for people to take money out of that, put it in a self-directed IRA to yeah. invest in real estate. Well, they can do the exact same thing for investing in private companies.
0: Right, right, exactly. So they can have an IRA, they can go into self-directed status where they can manage the investment as long as it's passive, right? As long as the investments are passive, mm-hmm. then they could allocate those to uh, invest in privately held businesses. And I think there's two ways they could do that, right? Generally, there's two ways they could do that. One way is they can loan money from their self-directed IRA as a loan
1: right. to that
0: business or that business owner. And then the other way is the IRA would own shares of this new entity.
1: Exactly, exactly. And how I... You know, I compare it and in, in trying to when you're bringing new investors into the marketplace and it's it's a completely different kind of beast to invest in a private company yes. than what they would have experienced in a public company, the transparency issues. Yeah. And then within real estate in that real estate is very, um, ad- objective. It's very yeah. kind of like, you know, here's a checklist of what creates a value and it's not as tangible in a private company, depending on where they are in their stage. Yeah. So it's a, it's another asset class, but you use those same skill sets. If you're a, a, a savvy public market, a public investor yeah. that, you know, runs your own portfolio on an E-Trade or something, or you have, um, you know, real estate holdings is a very similar process and mental process that you go through where you're you're looking at like if you if your structure is such that, I, you know, I don't want it to sit for 10 years. Kind of yeah. like I like compared to real estate. If you're going to it may you know, you're going to get something that's going to create, you know, uh, income, annual, you know, monthly income or an annual quarterly income. Or, you know that's or you're going to invest in something that you're gonna hold for a while because you believe that there's a lot going to happen in this area and it's going you know really expand the value of that piece of property that I I have invested in And you know whatever the case may be or you know like flips a lot yeah. of people get started in real estate doing flips. Well all of that kind of uh, money strategy or outcome are available in the private, Um, uh, equity market for investing in entrepreneurs once you understand the way folks like the lender I have a chapter in the book that's called when is an investor like a bank and it goes through some of those ways that a lot of times people will get started when they're uncomfortable with the idea of their money being locked up for 10 years yeah and so I like to you know compare it It's not gambling, but, you know, if you think about one of the strategies people have when they're playing the tables in Vegas or something is that they like to get their money back, you know, they get a win and then they try to let it ride on the house. Right. And so that's the way you can do when you start in some of these more liquid ways to be able to you know build a portfolio that's specifically dedicated to investing in in entrepreneur endeavors.
0: Yeah, I love it. Yeah, definitely. So let's just say, for example, right now I was in the process of like looking for uh, a a private company to invest in. What are some key things you'd want me to understand before I get into this investment?
1: First, you have to have a personal decision of how much and how you're going to invest based on your liquidity and risk tolerance. Uh So you need to know, like some people will get started execs and companies and stuff, and they'll just take their their, core, their bonuses that yeah. they get and they'll put that in and they know they kind of have a prediction of that. Sometimes people will accumulate some money or they'll just get, you know, they'll just cut back if they're going to do the 500 a month kind of a thing. So you figure out how much, because you want to have a strategy that allows you over a period of five years to invest in really 10 companies, mm-hmm. at yeah. least 10 companies. If you're doing larger investments, smaller investments, you know, more companies, right? And so, you know, you figure that out and that sometimes will dictate the type of company that you invest in, Mm -hmm. you know, because if you're going to spread out and you say you've got access, you think you'll have access over the next five years to $30,000 that you might want to put in this. Well, you know, some people that's one investment, other people that might be $10,000, $3,000 investments, right? So then if you're only making a $3,000 investment then that's immediately going to dictate the type of company that, you, that you're that you going to be investing in, right? And so you have to, so you got to figure that out. And then you figure out, what do you know? Either because your job or your hobbies or part of your education thing. You know, you have a, a knowledge of certain industries or certain types of things in the marketplace, or you have a passion for something. Sometimes people are very passionate about the environment. They may be very passionate about women's issues or, you know... They may be very passionate about certain healthcare issues, right? So what are you passionate about? And then you, um, so you start to look for, you kind of create a, uh, I'm going to, this is my thing. I'm going to find a, a, a medical company. I'm going to find yeah. a consumer products company that does this. I'm going to do this thing. I want to invest in a woman owner, you know, yeah. whatever. You kind of create your your goal of what you're going to look to invest in. And then I recommend not invest, once you make the decision. Well, to To become an, an angel investor, right? After you've bought my book, because it does have the resource portal that has some of these tools. It has a tool yes. to help you go through and create that kind of thing and actually to judge the thing because it's really easy to make emotional investments. You love this particular product or this particular yeah. video or this particular entrepreneur. And sometimes it'll cloud your judgment on the other things that, that may affect its ability, that company's ability to succeed. So you want to make sure that you don't make it an emotional decision. Now, ultimately when it comes down to like, so you say you get three or four, you go to some pit, virtual pitch events, you mm-hmm. go to some of these platforms that have the companies that are raising capital And you look at, you say, okay, I'm going to look at all the companies that are solving XYZ problem or doing this thing. I love to, I love to uh, sail. So Mm -hmm. what's something that's new in the sailboat world or something like that? You know, whatever you're, you know about, right? I'm a runner and I want whatever, you know? So you look for products like that and then you kind of rank them in your own preference on them. And then you, or companies that are doing that. And then I would, I would step back. And and, you know, make sure you go through their materials, but look at it, particularly if they're on a platform, how easy it is for them to raise their money. It's a real litmus test of their ability to um, attract the capital and also the customers, because, you know, almost every company is going to need another round. Mm -hmm. And there isn't, you know, so many times people have this FOMO fear of missing out. And they're like, oh, but this company is so good. Or, oh, if I invest in this one, I might miss this other one that is going to be even better three months from now. And, you know, and so you, that's where the taking the emotion out of it becomes really important yeah. so that if it fits a criteria, you know, you want liquidity. So you want it to be a convertible. You want it to be a royalty financing model, yeah. you know, or you whatever you have figured out in that process and then, you know, take it, take a breather. Yeah. Watch the company for a month if you feel like you're ready and then decide about investing in that company and adhering to the model. And when it comes down to two, then you let emotion pick you, right? Don't, don't pick one on emotion, get your three or four that you're thinking about and then pick the one out of the three and four that have met all your other criteria that you really like, or the two that you really like and whatever your budget is for that year what you're going to put into it or that month, whatever that's going to be. So diversification is the strategy, not only of industry, but also type of investment and stage of investment, early stage to mid stage. And now you get opportunities to go into some of these companies that have millions of dollars in revenue that are raising money money under a reg A plus. Mm -hmm. And you can really look at their track record and what they're going to do. So it's significantly less risky than somebody that might only have $100,000 in revenue, let's say.
0: Right. And Reg A plus, that's one of the regulations, right, that came about out of the Jobs Act. Uh, Yeah.
1: So, yeah, there's there's uh, four equity ways and then the reward based ways for raising company money as what we call a direct public offering. And Reg A plus is probably the most sophisticated of them in that the companies have to file financial paperwork, audited financials with the SEC that Mm -hmm. is the caliber of a public company. That's really the only real requirement they have in that um, other than, you know, all the normal disclosure and transparencies and that kind of stuff. But uh, they um, and so that is one thing because, you know, the financial history is going to be valid. I recommend when I work with investors and with companies that are in that kind of a strategy, you need to make sure that they've got some of the other pieces and parts that you would see of a company. So there's, you know, industry reports and competitive analysis and, you know, a a legal review to make sure that that there's not some lurking lawsuit in the side and, and a regular, besides that kind of an accounting review, yeah, they have been paying payroll taxes, and you know some of those things that could derail your investment if they haven't done the work to really show how clean they are and how prepared they are for your capital on that on that side of the equation. That's a the piece, and then you got five hundred six C, which is a trigger out of the traditional Reg D five hundred six. They put it into a B and a C now. Oh, I should say a Reg A plus. They can raise money on a national basis, accredited and unaccredited. Usually, the unaccredited go into their a special purpose LLC so that a vote as one block instead of having lots of little votes, and uh, and they can raise up to seventy five million dollars. Oh, okay. Okay. five hundred six C. They have the investors have to prove that they're an accredited investor, and there's a couple of ways yeah. that they do that. They it's, uh, submit like you would for getting financing on a house. Here's yep. your, your tax returns and you know, your assets, right. Um, or you can get a, uh, The ones that most painful, that most investors, traditional investors have heartburn with is disclosing all of their assets. They don't like that. And so you can get your accountant or your financial planner or your lawyer to write a letter that says you're an accredited investor. And because they're licensed, they have to write their license
0: number on that form. So
1: that's a way to... Show that you're an accredited investor. They can raise unlimited amounts from just accredited investors on that, and then, but you can only do that. You can't flip back and do a 506b, which is your traditional private placement memorandum that goes through traditional angel investors. And then there's Reg CF, which is the real the real crowdfunding, yeah. and that has been. Uh, you have to go through those companies have to go through a, a broker, a, a FINRA license. Yeah platform that has a broker dealer behind it the other ones aren't required to be have a broker dealer it's you know a good idea but it's not required that's what it does so the the idea is that they knew they were going to have the smaller investors in those because it started out being just a million dollars they have expanded it to five million dollars now and the sec has and uh and so they wanted to make sure because you know what i said earlier accredited investors are assumed to have a certain sophistication and knowledge mm-hmm. where they were assuming that these these newer type investors, these smaller investors may not have the same level of sophistication. So they put the burden on the portal to make sure that company wasn't committing fraud, yeah. that they had you know sound financials and all the other kinds of stuff. And those portals file the paperwork and keep everything together. And in that case, if the company can't raise their minimum bar of money, they don't get any of the money and you get your money back because, and then the last one is, is, uh, interstate, which they converted the reg D 504. And so every state has some version of this. Some of them yeah. doing well, some of them don't do it so well. You need to check in your state, but it's where the company located in that state or headquartered in that state can raise money accredited or unaccredited from investors in that state. And it's a really good economic development, uh model for communities to embrace, uh, So, you know, that would be the thing. And so one of the big number ones that I have for companies, particularly this is for folks that are getting started when you are making that decision, sort of the emotional part of it and not being emotional. How much money is that company going to need to get all the way to their finish line of when there would be a liquidity event, which is usually an acquisition? You know, so how much are they raising now? And so that's one of the things I like about the Reg CF. It's frustrating to entrepreneurs, but it's a really good litmus test because if they can't raise that $500,000 they need to get that product fully out to market and their customers and revenues flowing, well, guess what? They're not going to be able to raise the 5 million. They need to become a 25, 30, $40 million company that's going to get bought, Yeah. right? And so they, it, there's a, it's a test on that. And then the reward base, other investors, the ones that aren't afraid of crowdfunding investors, particularly on the West Coast, they love reward-based crowdfunding and even Reg CF because they see it as a, a, a risk mitigation because that shows that that company knows how to talk about their offering, talk about their product, and, and get interest and convert that interest to either into customers or into investors. And so to them, that is a great litmus test on whether they can come in and, and have the money that they're going to put in on top of that, you know, be per, used properly for accelerating the growth of the company.
0: And then as far as litmus test, let's just say, for example, you're, you're, you have a startup you needed $500,000 just to get the ball rolling with the company, like just to do the initial initial steps of the company. What is, I guess, the smallest way to do that from a regulatory perspective in a way where no regulations are needed? Or um, does that make sense? Like you don't need to, there aren't any legal requirements, like the the least amount of, the most amount of capital you can raise before you get to those stages where you have to go through those compliant matters.
1: Well, the probably interstate. Okay. okay. Because, with interstate, there's at least in Georgia, I can say I can speak to Georgia specifically, but there's like one piece of paperwork that you file with the state. And then you still need to have an offering memorandum, but you can that's where it really works well for uh, like to like. OK, so say you're a restaurant owner or you're yeah. some small business owner and you, you know, want to franchise your concept. Well, and it's going to take two million dollars Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. to do that. Well, you can go to your customers. Yeah. You can go to the chamber. You can go to the people in your church or your synagogue, yeah. right? You can go to any community that you have, your alumni association, yeah. mm-hmm. your sorority or fraternity that you are a part of. And you can, in, in that case, if they're in that state, right, and you can solicit to them to bring the money in. And you need to, you know, you need to be transparent and truthful yeah. because if you lie, then you know, eventually you're going to get caught and you're going to, you know, go to jail for fraud. But, <laughs> you know, you have to do that. But they don't, there's really not a lot of oversight on that as no. long as you're, you know, in the lanes, you're operating in the lanes. And the thing about a direct public offering, okay, mm. all that stuff, that means you can advertise it to people. You can send emails out. You could put it up just like you see on Facebook with GoFundMe. I don't recommend raising capital on on Facebook, (laughs) but, you know, you can, you know, create a momentum. You could buy a list of all of the high net worth people in a certain zip code in your community and invite them to a seminar that you're having at your restaurant or like whatever it is or at the chamber. You know, you could. There's all kinds of ways that you can reach out to targeted investors in your community to, because that would have it. They may not be sophisticated angel investors. So the whole approach is different because you're talking about the economic impact. Oh, if I launch, I have three of these, whatever locations. If I create this franchise, I'm going to have the headquarters here. I'm going to have my it here. I'm going to have my trading here. I'm going to create 30 jobs in the first year and in the, by five years, I'm gonna have a hundred new jobs of well-paying in this community. And you're going to have the additional tax revenue from me being this bigger company. That's not just these three restaurants or whatever, or these hair salons yeah. or something, you know, you're going to have this. And so that becomes something where their local leaders in the marketplace go, Oh, I, I like that. We want you to create those jobs in our community. We'll help you raise that capital. We'll help you. We'll host your event you know, that kind of a thing. So to me, that's like the, it's probably one of the best kept secrets on this stuff. I mean, in the state of Georgia, it was, came out before the jobs act. So beginning of 2012, uh, I, uh, Georgia and Kansas were the first ones to do interstate. I think there might only be, it could maybe 30 companies that have raised money under that. Yeah right? It's just, it's just, it's just, it wasn't well advertised. I mean, the government is not very good at, you know, they're not marketing, right? So, you know, (laughs) it word of mouth and, you know, and there were some people early on, but the rest of the crowdfunding stuff wasn't going yet. So it kind of got lost in the shuffle. And then, you know, Um, I have one lawyer I work with here who's got it down to a science. Now she probably has 30 companies. She's helped do that. I should go back and check with her because she really knows how to put it out there and get it to within uh, the network broker dealer. So to get it or a licensed person. So she's also able to get it out there, but there's, um, that's really the, to me, the easiest way and the least complicated way. Particularly if you're a local business, you manufacture offshore, and now because of supply chain issues and tariffs and all this kind of stuff, yeah. you're trying to figure out how to bring it back in. And so you're going to buy a building, you know, which you can get an SBA loan yeah. for. You 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 already got, got revenues. But you need to hire up people to run that manufacturing or you're going to do some robotics and you need IT people, you know, you need additional salespeople, maybe you're expanding in different channels. Well, that's a great hybrid for local investors and the banking community to support that business because it's going to have such a strong impact on that community when they are able to bring that manufacturing offshore and back into their community.
0: Yeah, that's very helpful. And this is where like Compassionate Capitalist comes in, right? Like your your brand is that it goes beyond just an investment, but also you're bringing jobs, you are bringing revenue to your local city or county. So yeah, these are definitely it brings it down to the you and me level. It doesn't just keep it at the Fortune 500 level and large companies. It brings it down to help smaller companies, both raise capital as well as from the investor standpoint, invest in these companies. That could have a a much higher potential than investing in the stock market. Karen, I want to ask you, is there like uh, an exchange that people can go to, to see like a list of companies that are raising capital and they could review their offerings on like a a single platform? Does that exist?
1: No, there is not a single platform. There's probably a hundred platforms, right? So You know? I mean, there's ones like the seed, seed invest is probably one of the most famous for reg CF. And I think they do five or six C, um, you know, some places like, and then there's micro invest that does the reg CF and the things, but they also do a unique thing where, and I've had some of my investors um, will say, Hey, you know, they, they do the early stage, yeah. but then they'll go to a later stage. that's almost public. Right. Yeah. So you know, it's going to, they haven't yet filed their paperwork, but people that are in the company can sell some of their stock privately because they've held it more than two years. And then they can put it out or when companies are doing reg A plus, you can put out a, put the, it, the current investors are able to sell their stocks on these exchanges. And, um, and then, you know, participate in what, and so when an investor gets in on that, with Unlike in a micro invest, they have the ability, it's not going to be your two, three X number, but you're going to go into it as a public stock that you have bought at a discount. So you may get a 10% bump or a 20% bump on that, you know, but you're still getting it before it has it, where you read the frenzy of a new IPO and, and the stock rises really fast and then it falls. Right. And if your timing on that, you know, is such, you still got it before those people got it. Right. Yeah, so you yeah. still got a better deal on it. So, and you know, so that's, that's one of those things So you have to, look around sometimes there's ones that are specific to types of companies um you know look at their success rate of raising capital for companies as any of these portals um oh i was going to say florida for example they did a thing and reason why Florida has so much angel investor activity compared to like Georgia and anywhere else in the Southeast. And people don't really think of Florida as being a hotbed because there's not one place like at Silicon Valley. It's like spread out all over the state. Yeah. And uh, they had, they, the government, the state government many years ago started this Nexus, Florida, Nexus or Nexus, Florida thing. That was every deal that the angel investor groups were, um, in uh, investing in they would put it up on this portal and that way anybody around the state could then go in and co-invest in that and you had you know your snowbirds coming down from the north from the you know the north in the winter times and they would you know participate in those deals as well while they were down there and then that is since the government in its infinite wisdom pulled the funding on that um, but it got picked up by a uh, venture capital firm that runs it now, so I think that they might have changed the name, but it's it's still down there. So there are some of those and some of the states that recognize it as a, an economic opportunity. I think Indiana might have something like that. Ohio might have something like that. So some of the states will will do that or some of the universities might you know have a listing you know you can find them in your state if, they're, if it exists if you want to look at the ones that are in your state.
0: And what are the best resources for people to learn more about either raising capital as business owners or investing into privately held businesses?
1: Well, I would say, listen to the compassionate capitalist show, my podcast, because that's what we talk about is best practices for scaling a company and uh, and for investing in those companies to ensure, you know, you can get to an exit and produce the return on that. I also have a, a, an email series of videos that is uh, called the Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Break. It's just a little snippet of information where I answer questions that entrepreneurs have given me in about a one to two minute video about raising capital and investing. Sometimes, you know, how do you find the value proposition, things like that. And then, um, you know, of course, my book, Inside Sequence to Angel Investing is a primer of how to get started as an angel investor. I've had a lot of entrepreneurs read it to learn how investors think and learn kind of the best practices. And I'm telling investors, this is the best practices for you to decide yes or no on companies. And these are the kind of questions you're going to want to have asked. And these are the kind of, this is where you find companies, things like that. And so sometimes entrepreneurs want that kind of information too, although isn't written to that as an audience. And um, beyond beyond that, I would say, um, there's a lot, uh, there's an organization called 10 capital T E N is run by Hall Martin. He puts out really excellent podcasts and, um, and has a real good library of content. That's a, it's a mixture of angel investor and entrepreneur. So it's, it's really an angel investor network, but he showcases entrepreneurs to his network and he puts that out on a regular basis. The Kaufman foundation has some information up on their website. They mostly provide it to traditional angel groups, but they've started providing some to Regular folks that you know are not part of an angel investor group um, to to you know move that ball forward. Um, a lot of the panels. There's organizations. There's an organization called TIE. That's it. Used to be the I think officially it's the the Indus Entrepreneur Network, but now they kind of go by Innovation because they're not just Asian Indians anymore. It's really a very diverse mm-hmm. organization, and they do workshops. Um on the Thai Glow. I mean, it's amazing the workshops that they do on everything from figuring out valuation, hiring, building a board, uh, how to prepare for exits, uh Thai Atlanta, which I'm a part of. They have a great um they all of their content is available they record everyone they live stream everyone and it's all available really for for vendor i mean for Mm -hmm. members which is not very much like maybe a hundred dollars a year to Uh be a member there and you get access to the global network so i get an email and if all i wanted to do was watch webinars and learn all day long i could probably do that on the global webinars that they have all the time so you know, it's really, uh, that's a really great organization and they're very committed to growing and, 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 you know, helping entrepreneurs succeed and, um, and giving them the tools to do that and, uh, and cultivating angels to, to be more active angels. A lot of the chapters have their own angel groups and stuff as well. So, mm-hmm.
0: well, it was a pleasure interviewing Kieran. I, I really enjoyed our conversation and having you on the podcast. Uh, I'll add in all the links you mentioned. I'll add in your website, Rands.co, in the show notes below. So that way listeners can just click. I'll also add your LinkedIn profile. It was a pleasure interviewing you and I'm looking forward to having you back on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Likewise, we should probably uh, revisit our, our original one that where I interviewed you.
0: Sounds good. Thank you.
1: Thank you so very much.
0: To learn more about what we do and how we can help you grow more wealth, please visit www.finassetprotection.com. That's F-I-N